Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 100 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this special episode, we're sharing some of your lessons learned from the past year. We did it. We are all the way to episode 100. I truly appreciate you for listening to this podcast and for making it what it is and for making it continue because otherwise it's just me talking into the void and if no one was listening, I would probably stop at some point. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the support and your generosity in sharing your time with me. I hope I can impose on your generosity just a little bit more in asking you to spread the word about this podcast. As we got to episode 100, it's fantastic the number of people who have downloaded this show, but I would love for more to hear it because I know there are still teachers out there who are struggling with their policies or feeling alone or feeling like an imposter who could benefit from these little nuggets of podcast insights and ideas. So if you have a moment, if you have a friend, a teacher friend, please share it with them. Send them the link. Help them to download the podcast app onto their phone if they're not tech savvy in that way or they haven't listened to a podcast before. There are still tons of people out there who haven't jumped on the podcast bandwagon at all. They don't know how to do it and they might be afraid to ask because they feel silly. So help someone that you know that could benefit to download the app and to listen to their first episode. I would appreciate it, and so would all the other podcast creators out there. In this show, as I mentioned, we're going to be diving into some of your stories about lessons you've learned over the last year. This was a special idea that I had for episode 100 because I believe all teachers should be lifelong learners, and I believe most of you are, and I wanted to highlight a few of the stories that have things that teachers are learning, things they're exploring. Now, with the current season we're in, several of these stories are going to be about technology and teaching online. And we all could have seen that coming, right? We have all had to learn so much over the past few months about technology, about different ways of teaching, and about all sorts of things that we didn't know we'd ever need to learn. And keeping that permanent state of curiosity and lifelong learning spirit is what has held teachers through this period. 
When I set this theme for this episode, it was before all of this happened. So I had no idea that we were all going to have to learn as much as we did over the last few months and are continuing to do over the next months and onward into the future. But I think we've all risen to the challenge and I want to take this moment to celebrate. Yes, there's a lot of things right now which are tough, which are hard and which are upsetting. There may be terrible things going on in your life right now. But I hope that you can take a moment to celebrate with me, if there's space in your brain for that, and talk about some lessons we've learned. So the first two stories I'm going to share with you, the first two clips, are from Janella and Susan. Both of these teachers mentioned things they learned about online teaching over the last few months, and I want to take a listen with you and see what they've learned. Hi, Nicola. This is Janella Ledden. And I just wanted to thank you for uh, all that you've been doing to encourage online teaching. I think if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been able to felt I wouldn't have felt confident enough to take the initiative and teach online and I'm getting good feedback from my students. So, thanks so much for uh, watching out for us. Hello, Nicola. I just wanted to say what I've learned this past few months has really helped me grow as a teacher, having to learn how to do Zoom, Skype, and FaceTime piano lessons. So I think that's been a huge accomplishment for me because I really didn't know how to do any of that before this pandemic happened. So I'm going to thank the pandemic for one, one thing, not that anyone's sick, but that I've learned some new technology. And now that is a great solution for when we have storms in the winter. I can just now know how to do Zoom lessons. And it's just a good thing to know. And we're going to continue making a living even when we're trapped inside with bad weather or as long as this pandemic goes on and we need to be safe. I'm really thankful that I can work from home and make a living. So I think that's it. Thank you to Janella and to Susan for leaving those messages. I so appreciate your support. I really liked what Susan said at the end there about using this as an opportunity to use online teaching in the future, right? Many teachers are thinking this way right now. We can take this, what we've learned, what we've been forced to learn, and use it as an alternative to makeup lessons, something I am all for. I've had this in my studio for quite a while now, but even for me, I've gotten more comfortable with online teaching for sure, but the big thing in my studio is that parents have. It's going to be normalized going forward, right? Things have changed. They understand what a Zoom lesson is when I say that. And they're not going to be as afraid to give that a go. They know it can be effective. Yes, in some ways less effective than in-person lessons, in some ways more. And they can see that. They can see how well or not well their child does in that environment, but most kids are thriving just as well as they did in person with me. So parents can see that and they don't have to be afraid of this whole online thing. They can also see that it doesn't actually require that much extra effort from them in terms of setting up technology and stuff like that, or at least most parents will feel like that way after the past few months. So this is an even more viable option as we move forward. And I hope you'll consider putting it into your policies for next year if you didn't already have it. That this is what you're going to do if, you know, I mentioned contagious illnesses in my policies. 
and you can have that in there too. It was more of a general comment when I wrote it. Or snow days, or their car breaks down, or they have to have a babysitter that day who doesn't drive and can't make it over to the, your studio, right? That is going to be a great opportunity that we got out of this terrible situation. And I hope you'll take advantage of it and put it into your policies. Next up, we're going to hear from Jay. And Jay shares a few different things in a lot of different areas, which is fantastic. Jay is over here in Ireland. If you don't recognize the accent, (laughs) that's where he's from. And he's going to share a few things about what he's learned over the last year as well. Nicola, thank you so much for your work. You've helped me in so, so many ways over the last number of years as I've shifted into full-time instrumental teaching. It feels like I'm always learning, and even more so these last few months. I've constructed a really effective Zoom hub at home using a lot of different pieces of gear, a mixing desk, an audio interface, an overhead camera stand for my phone, a USB microphone. And then I had to figure out how to get into my phone's developer settings to have it work as a second camera. And I'm using Classroom Maestro, and I need more ports on my laptop, I think. I've also really enjoyed being challenged by Alfie Cohn's ideas in Punished by Rewards. And I've particularly enjoyed the different insights I've had when putting together video lessons for students, um, slowing down, re-recording to try and express a concept more clearly, adapting pieces to suit the sheer range of keyboards that my students seem to own. Uh, Such an eye-opener to realize that the majority of my beginners don't have pianos. So yeah, thank you. Keep up the brilliant work and congratulations on 100 episodes. Yeah, nice one. Jay shared a lot of great stuff about what he's learned about technology as well. Like Susan and Janella, he's had to jump on the technology bandwagon in a bigger way than before and learn about all sorts of stuff. There's two things in particular that I wanted to highlight from Jay's message there. The first one is that he briefly mentioned the book Punished by Rewards by Alfie Khan. This is a fantastic, thought-provoking book. It's not, maybe not the easiest read. I actually listen to it. I'm a big audiobook person. I like to listen to audiobooks while I clean and do various things like that, do the garden, stuff like that. So I listened to that book rather than read it. I think it might be a bit dense in written form. If you're a good reader, it should be fine, of course. But that is a fascinating book. And I don't think I go all the way as far as Alfie, but it's definitely one to make you think. And if you're looking for something to help you think differently about rewards and awards, And how we use praise in our studios, that's definitely an intriguing one to look into, perhaps over the summer. I actually originally listened to that over a summer break. I think it must have been two years ago, gosh. The other thing I wanted to highlight from Jay's comment there was something that I think many teachers have recently discovered through online teaching, and that's that his kiddos do not have decent instruments at home. Not only do they not have pianos, some of them might have toys, you know, sitting on the floor, on a dining room table, something like that. And many teachers have been really shocked by what they find in their students' homes. They had no idea, or the wool was maybe even pulled over their eyes a little bit. So just as a way to move forward from here, and maybe a new resolution for you, I think it's really important 
to highlight this with parents in the beginning and to actually know what your students have at home. So one of the ways I do this is with new students, they take a piano posture picture at the lesson with me, at their first lesson, like setting up at the piano. Okay, this is what it looks like when my feet are planted, all of this. And they're supposed to take a matching picture at home. It can be hard to get parents to follow up with this, but honestly, it establishes a great expectation right at the beginning that the parents are going to have to do stuff at home. So it's a good thing to do right from the outset. And if you do that, you can easily see their home piano, right? You can see what set it they have. You can see that they don't have a piano bench. And this, you know, if parents are resistant to take a photo, sometimes it can be because maybe they've been fudging the details of their home instrument a little bit. But most of the time when parents don't have a decent piano at home, it's not because of bad intentions. It's not because they're lying. It's because they don't understand what you're talking about. So that's the other thing I wanted to bring up there. I talked about this in my presentation that I gave at Piano Pivot Live in January, uh, Tim Topham's event, which was over in Melbourne. And I talked about inclusive piano teaching tactics in that. And it's a topic which maybe people expect me to be talking about special needs or something like that. And I do touch on that briefly. But really what I'm getting at in that presentation, what I'm trying to make us think about is how we can include people from all different backgrounds, especially those whose parents didn't study an instrument. Because if you walk into a room of music teachers and you ask them how many of their parents learned a music instrument, at least to, you know, for a few years, the majority of the room puts up their hand. That's the truth. And if that's the truth, what we're doing is we're gradually diminishing our possible base of future music teachers and future musicians. We're weeding it down and we don't want to do that. That's not our goal, but that's what's happening. And it's because of little things like this, like not properly, thoroughly educating parents, making sure that the kid has a good instrument at home. Someone who took piano lessons for five years as a child has some idea about that and about what a piano is versus a keyboard and, you know, that there are such things as piano benches. Someone who didn't may not have any clue and they may be too embarrassed to ask or not even know to ask you. So that's a whole side topic, of course. But it's one thing that people have been discovering through online teaching that I think shares a bigger message behind it that I want us all to be thinking about more as we move forward into further into the 21st century. Our next lesson is from Anna Marie. And this is a really interesting one. I'm really glad she shared this with us. So I'm just going to let her dive right in here. I learned sports this year. I have a student who his parents would like him to play piano, but he just wants to do sports. So I have learned to translate almost every musical endeavor into a sports metaphor to keep him interested. And I find sports songs for him to play. And I use a sport method book for him to do his exercises. And I have learned a lot about sports. Isn't that an interesting story? What I love about this is that actually what it's about is student relationships. 
It's about paying attention to what your student likes and what resonates with them and picking up on it and including it as you need to. I often share a story about one of my earliest students called Daniel, who didn't like me very much and didn't enjoy piano lessons, and who I finally had a breakthrough with when I discovered that he loved dinosaurs, and I started including them with everything. And that goes for young students like Daniel was at the time, and it goes for older students like maybe Anna Marie's is there. If you connect things back to what students are interested in, what you're doing is showing them that you care, that you appreciate them as a person, that you take into consideration what they want. Being only interested in sports is probably not the full picture. Most people actually like music, but what they don't always get is the connection with you and that music can be part of them as a well-rounded person and part of the bigger things in their life, in this instance, sports. So I love what Anna-Marie did there in bringing sports into her music studio so that she could connect better with her student. Our next clip is from Kate. This is our final little teacher clip. And it's a really intriguing one, something you may not have thought of in your studio. I certainly have noticed this, but not in a formal way or in a specific way that I've brought to the front of my brain. So let's take a listen to Kate. Hi, my name is Kate and I'm a new listener in the US. I think the most exciting thing I learned in my studio this year is how much my students of all ages love playing non-arranged music, as in music that was actually composed in that form by the composer. Even quite young ones of seven, eight years old say, is this what Mozart actually wrote? And you say, well, it is. And that seems to just lend some kind of magic rocket fuel <laughs> to the interest and motivation. And it's just been exciting to see how great leaps forward come from stepping out of the method book and supplementing with these kinds of pieces. So it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I wanted to end with that message from Kate because it brings it back to classical music, original music. It doesn't have to be classical to fit into what she's talking about there, but original pieces. And I wanted to bring it back to that because sometimes it can feel like with all this modern teaching stuff, with all this pop music and chords, and we're talking about improv, and we're talking about teaching through games, and we're doing all these things, it can feel like we're throwing out all the old methods, all the things that people hold dear, that made you value music lessons. And that's not the case. That shouldn't be the case. And what Kate says there is really important. Students value original compositions and knowing that they're playing something that Mozart wrote the way he wrote it. Right? That's still true. And if you provide those connections and that context to your student about classical composers as well as contemporary ones, you know, supporting modern composers, it can be so valuable and it can bring classical music into this century and bring together all the different sides of music. Jazz improvisation meets classical music, meets current pop songs, all in one beautiful studio. I hope you enjoyed listening to these teacher stories as much as I did. Before I let you go, I wanted to make one more request, if I may, at this juncture which is to leave a review for the podcast. 
You can leave one wherever you're listening right now, Apple Podcast slash iTunes or wherever else you listen to the show. I really do read every one and appreciate every review that we get, and it helps to spread the word so that other teachers can find the show. The VMT podcast is absolutely not going anywhere at all. We've reached 100 episodes, and I'm hopeful that we'll be able to do 100 more and then some. Our next 10 episodes after today is going to be a special series to further celebrate this 100th episode benchmark. We're I'm calling this series Vibrant Music Teaching 101. So I'm going to be taking you through some different foundational ideas that I think are important in terms of running a vibrant music teaching studio. So these 10 different lessons are maybe not what you might expect for a foundational series. We're not going to talk about decoding method books or anything like that that you might find in a Pedagogy 101 course. These are going to be interesting tidbits and thoughts that I've had as I've been putting together the last hundred episodes. So I hope you enjoy that series and the podcast as we continue into the next hundred. And thank you so much again for listening. Bye for now. Early on in this pandemic, I decided to keep the podcast a pandemic panic free zone as teachers look for a bit of respite from what's going on in the world right now. And that's going to continue. But if you do need access to resources, we absolutely have them available for you to help you improve your online teaching game, to get you set up, to help you with whatever you need. So if you're not a member, you can sign up using the coupon code online right now. You can use that for monthly membership and it will get you one week trial to the membership for just $1 so that you can test it out and get access to the resources that you need games for online teaching, creative ideas, and tech help as well. If you are a member, all you need to do is jump over to the library or into our community forums and we'll be able to help you there. See you on the inside. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.